Hey everyone out there, how's it going? Welcome to Screenspeak, the podcast that's all about movies, life, and so much more. My name's Jordan Anderson, this is my podcast, and as always, I'm delighted to have each and every one of you stop by and give this show a listen. This episode marks the first in a series of exclusive conversations that were captured from on-site at the 16th Annual Iowa Independent Film Festival. Going forward with these episodes, my plan is to release them in the order that they were recorded in, and I feel that taking this approach intentionally is going to give you all a direct sense of the flow and vibe that took place at the festival, and really make you feel almost as if you were actually there, sort of like being a fly on the wall, if you will. I'm really excited to be able to start dropping these conversations, and sincerely hope that you find them all to be as interesting, engaging, and insightful as I found them to be. I'm very grateful right now at this present moment in my life to be able to do what I'm doing with this podcast, which is getting to visit lately and take part in local film festivals, and that that right now is becoming a significant part of ScreenSpeak, and by doing it, it's been allowing me to meet people that I ordinarily would have likely a harder time meeting if I didn't have this podcast as an outlet for this stuff. And better yet, it's exposing you all to film fests that you may otherwise have never heard of. Exposes you to the staff that makes the film fest possible and how a festival runs, which I think is actually really fascinating on its own. It exposes you to the many talented filmmakers and artists that don't always get to have a voice on a larger stage. Not everyone in the world is a Matt Damon, Tom Cruise, or Emily Blunt, or Anne Hathaway, or whatever. Uh, There's a lot of actors, a lot of people that are working as filmmakers or up and coming in that sense that are doing this stuff, and they just don't always get to have a platform, especially here in the state of Iowa. So for that alone, I'm really pleased to be able to lend a hand with that. I would actually say that if you're an Iowa-based listener, as I know that many of you are, I really encourage you to take the time to learn more about the people that I've been fortunate enough to have on this podcast. Especially if you're someone that's listening that is a person that's desperate to get connected into the world of entertainment and filmmaking. I actually think on some sort of subconscious level that's partly why I continue to be exploring this very specific lane of Iowa film festivals on my podcast. Now, I'm sure I've probably mentioned this before, and if I have, I apologize because I don't like to repeat myself, but I'll go ahead and say this anyway. I'm an Iowa native. I've lived in this state for a majority of my life, and for a majority of my life, I've always been captured and immersed in some way in the world of movies. Now, for the longest time, I always thought that my aspirations in film and entertainment would basically just stay as that, aspirations. Aspirations that are great to work on, to channel creative energy, and escape into when needed. Something, in a sense, to be able to satisfy my soul and to make me happy while the rest of the world is going on around me. But never more than that. And if I think back on the days when I was when I was starting to have these type of thoughts and just thinking about my place in life and my place in Iowa, I just kind of thought that if Iowa is going to be my place for a long time, I'm sure I'll get some good out of doing this creativity-wise and, and channeling it where I can here and there, but none of it would come in a more serious realm into the world of movies and entertainment. Um, you know, it's, it it always has felt as if it's something that's really far away from my reaches and something that you'd have to have a completely different life or do a complete life overhaul in order to really get your life to, you know, professionally, uh, personally, all the different things that kind of have to line up to make yourself have a living, uh, in this sort of an entertainment atmosphere. I just didn't think it would be possible here in Iowa. And what I'm here to tell you right now in this introduction on this episode is that it's just not true. That that statement, that that rambling that I just put out there of what I was saying about Iowa, it's not true. As I've come to find through my podcast, Iowa actually is a really creative place, and there's a lot of artistic merit here and a lot that's been going on here that I feel ignorant about that I didn't really know that was was going on, so much so that I feel compelled to share it with you all. And, and certainly, of course, because there's direct tie-ins to movies with these things that I'm sharing specific to film festivals, but when I think bigger than that, I'm compelled to share all this because I know what it's like to think that you are alone in your passion. Thinking that all of this passion for film and movies and, and, and all of it is just something that's living inside of you and it's just singular to you and that if you were to let it out, if you were to actually let it out and do something with it, I mean, A, you, you fear it might not be heard or worse, worse yet, you just don't think you'd be understood or even respected. And I'm saying all this right now because from your perspective, the listener, 
I can tell you if I knew all the stuff that is happening within the state here that I know now, if I'd gotten more seriously involved and steeped into this stuff a long time ago, I, I mean, it would have helped out tremendously. I really think from your perspective, for the people that are listening, hearing this kind of stuff, the stuff that I'm putting into this podcast, I really think it helps. It helps the filmmakers, of course, that are here in the state. It helps the artists that are here broadly outside of even just the singular lane that is movies. It helps the stories and the, the craftsmanship and, and all the talented creative energy and work that gets put into this stuff get more eyes and ears on it. And that in turn leads to conversations. Conversations that I think that have the ability to inspire, to to challenge, to motivate, to to be to make to have a laugh, to to have some form of engagement that you can't otherwise get with other people that are outside of this world. I, I, I mean, I don't even know if that makes sense, but I think in some way you'll kind of get where I'm going with that. And, and I hope it does make sense because I just had to air that out of why I think these conversations and giving them to you all is so important, especially within the state of Iowa here. So <laughs> all that being said, getting that rant of, of sorts off my chest I should probably actually share who I have on this episode. So joining me on this latest episode of Screen Speak is actor, Iowa Independent Film Festival board member, and interestingly enough, chiropractor, that's right, chiropractor, you can fix your back, I guess, Jim Brockon. Now, Jim has been working as an actor steadily since 1994, and his dedication to independent cinema has made him be a vital part of of the Iowa Independent Film Festival's success that it's had over the years, because the one that I was most recently at was the 16th annual one. So all those years prior to it and it running is a no short part or, or uh, no short success of, of Jim's efforts. Or y- You get what I'm saying, right? Jim is a vital part of making this festival happen. Now, in this episode, we talk about Jim's journey as an actor, his thoughts that he has on the process of acting, specifically characterization of actors, or excuse me, of the acting process. And we even listen to some of his stories from past sets that he's had the privilege to be able to work on, including the couple of times that he's even been on a set uh, from the Coen brothers, which is pretty, pretty cool. Now, before I let the conversation play out, last thing I got for you all is to be sure to remind you to hit that follow button on your preferred podcast platform to ensure that you are not missing out on any future episodes, especially within this limited series on the Iowa Independent Film Festival. So, all that being said, I think you've heard enough of just me talking. Let's get Jim in here and get this conversation rolling right now. How are you? Good, fine. Okay, your name is Jim Brock. Jim Brock on. So Brock on with a B. Okay. And uh, I guess, what what do you do? What's your whole role and involvement with this, this film festival? Yeah, well, actually, I'm a, uh, act actor, but I play a doctor in real life. I've seen you now in a couple of shorts, yeah, at least. Yeah, I've been an actor for 28 years and a chiropractor for 35. And I thought I heard your voice over a chiropractic ad, but I didn't know that that was you. Yes, yes. Okay, so you are a chiropractor as well. Yes, I am. Okay. One of the sponsors. I'm also on the board of the Iowa Independent Film Festival. Where do you find your time? Because, uh, I mean, that, you tough. say all that listed like that. I'm like, you must not have much free time. I don't. I don't. My <laughs> wife and I, we both volunteer for so many things. We're, we're the two people that sort of say no to things. Yeah. What but kinds of stuff do you... learn how to do that. But, yeah, well, I've, been, I've been on this uh, board of the Iowa Independent Film Festival for 13 years. This is our 16th year, so there's first three years I wasn't on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife's been on the board for three years. And the, what kind of stuff do you guys say you volunteer for? Uh, we're with the, the chamber as far as the Pucka Brush Committee. But what? The Pucka Brush. What is that? Yeah, it's a <laughs> town celebration. It's called Pucka Brush. Okay. And, uh, and my wife's also in charge of the parade. She's been doing that for over 25 years. And uh, I'm also with the Lions Club. And she's an honorary alliance member. Mm-hmm. And we're also with the Boy Scouts. I've been with uh, a member of the Boy Scouts for 48 years. Wow. My wife's been in there for over 25. So do you know, like, all the Boy Scout skills, like how to, like, tie a knot, and, oh, like, yeah. all, all the skills yeah. they teach? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're on different levels. I'm on the local level. Okay. So we have meetings once a week. Then I'm on the district level. And she's mm-hmm. on the district level and the local level. 
and I'm also on the council. I'm on the executive board for the council. So why do you feel compelled to be involved with so many different things? It's just something I've always grown up with. Yeah. Uh, since I was a young kid, probably 13, 14, I've always volunteered for different organizations. Uh, I remember when I was 15 years old, I was vice president of uh, the Marion uh, Coin Collectors Club. We had over 300 mm-hmm. members. We used to meet at the bank. At age 15, I was vice president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't have a license to drive. My daddy had to drive me to the meetings. And then I, you know, I think the Boy Scouts is what brought the leadership skills. How, I earned how, my boy, like I earned, how, how so? I earned my Eagle Scout when I was 14. Okay. My two sons earned their Eagles at 14 too. And, you know, just everything you learn about the Scout Oath, the Scout Law, uh, and uh, going on camp outs, learning different things, survival skills and so forth. And all the things you need to be a leader is what I learned through Boy Scouts. And so at an early age, I started volunteering for different organizations and I just kept doing it. So what's leadership mean to you? Oh, it just means everything. It makes you a better citizen. Yeah. Uh, and when I, when I see these young boys in the Boy Scouts, uh, these boys really need some leadership skills. Some of them come from families that really need the support system. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, there's a lot of leaders out there. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. You know, he's the Eagle Scout. We've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of great uh, famous people out there that are Eagle Scouts. And all of them will say that the scouting programs would help them to achieve their skills. Have you ever got the scouts to like get involved as like a sponsor with the film festival or anything like that? Excuse me. Like like the scouts themselves. I mean, like you clearly have admiration for them and respect them and are involved with them. But have they ever got involved with the film fest? Like just as like a sponsor or just a partner or anything like that? Uh, no. No. Oh wow. Okay. Um, so film fest wise, I mean, why do you love movies? You obviously have to have a love for this or be crazy or both because that's kind of, you know, you, you don't do this because you think you're going to get rich. Exactly. I don't do it because I think I'm going to get rich or famous. Right. I just love doing it. Uh, well, what about it do you love? Just the character, being a different character. Mm-hmm. What's really nice is the feedback. Uh, I'm my hardest critic. <laughs> I'll watch myself. And when I first started watching myself on film, I kind of looked down. Uh, I've taken several acting classes from people from LA, and I was taking a class from one person, and he noticed that I kept looking down after I was analy- or analyzing a film I was doing. And he asked me why I was doing that. I said, "Well, I don't like the way I look. Mm. My double chin and just the way I look, and I just don't like it." Mm-hmm. So I want you to do is look at that person in that film. Don't even think that's you. And I want you to analyze it and grade that person, you know, on the skills that that person's doing. And like I said, don't pretend it's not even you up there. Sure. And so I watched it and he said, well, how'd that person do? I said, well, I think he did pretty good. You know, so, but what I like about characterization is, and uh, my favorite actor is Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. I mean, Tom Hanks, he can do any character you give him. He's a class act. He, yes. He's done a hell of a lot of things. And I, I read a book about him, uh, The World According to Tom Hanks. And I, I recommend it to everybody. And Did he write it or was it just... Uh... It's his biography. Oh, okay. I didn't even know he had one. Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, everybody should read that. And he doesn't believe in method acting. And Yeah, sometimes that can go a little far. Yeah. <laughs> and what I like about the way he creates characters is... <clears throat> I'm kind of learning from what he does too is when he creates a character like Forrest Gump, for instance. Sure. Uh, there's that boy from Mississippi who played the boy in there, the Forrest Gump. When they asked him what his name was, you know, in the, the movie, he said, Gump, Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. And that's the way he talks down there. And when Tom Hanks was doing some of his lines, he'd ask the boy, how would you say this line? And the boy would say it. That Tom Hanks would say it the way the boy would say it. Sure. So we learned from the boy. Mm-hmm. And when Tom Hanks creates his character, what he does is for any character he's ever done, uh, he creates it in a way to where he says, okay, who is this character? Where did he come from? Is he married? Does he have kids? What was his life like? He creates the entire character that he's performing. But he never writes anything down. 
he never shares it with anybody, especially the director. Mm-hmm. He keeps it to himself, and that's how he forms his character. Why does he keep it all to himself? Because he doesn't want anybody to tell him, no, I don't want you to do it this way. I want you to change it. No, mm-hmm. I don't think this guy came from this background. Right. He creates it himself. He keeps it. He doesn't want it to share with anybody because it's not debatable. It's, it's what he creates, and he's not change it for anybody no and i mean you know it's interesting because that does actually make sense in a lot of ways because i mean you have to be very vulnerable when you're on screen and you know present yourself fully to the audience and whatnot and i imagine acting like any other profession you you get very into the mind space uh, of a character and whatnot and if you have too many people early on kind of trying to um, lend opinion, whether yeah. it's good or bad, that's aside the point. They're lending opinion, so it makes it less natural because then you're overthinking the process, I would imagine, is kind of the mindset on that. Yes. And the biggest thing I could get is if somebody comes up to me and says, You're so natural. Yeah. That's the biggest compliment anybody Yeah, because you just want it to seem effortless to yeah. the person that's doing it when, when really you're busting your, <laughs> yeah. busting your hump to try to do it. And you know, acting is fine as long as you don't get caught doing it. What's been the most fulfilling moments you've had as an actor? Probably when I co-starred in the movie where I was mentally challenged. I was a 50-year-old mentally challenged adult, 50 years old. I said, this movie is called The Star. Uh-huh. And I did about six films for this director. And I said, I like to do something challenging. I would like to be a mentally challenged adult. So he wrote this movie. Sure. Uh, and when they showed this, we had four premieres one night, and I could only make the third premiere. And the first premiere, they had uh, mentally challenged people there watching it. They all wanted to meet Oliver, but I wasn't there. And then the second premiere, a few hours later, they had another premiere, and there's a gentleman there who says, where did you find a mentally challenged person that could act so well? And the director says he's not mentally challenged, and the guy would not believe in him. Wow. And when the director told me that, I thought, wow, that is a compliment, isn't it? Yeah. He said, yeah. Yeah. Did it feel, I guess, like when you're in that role, did it feel like you were escaping into the role? So, you know, because obviously from the audience level, they don't see you. They right. see the character. Did it feel that way when you were in it? Oh, yeah. 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 How do you commit? Like, I, I guess, like, what's your process to, to get there? Well, growing up, I was with a lot of mentally challenged, physically challenged kids, adults. Right. Uh, I volunteered and helped you know, a lot of people with those problems. And so I knew how they acted, their skills, how they walked, how they talked. Uh, that's how I did. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my brother, older brother, is mentally challenged. So I was like his protector. He was like five years older than me. But if anybody were to pick on him, even if I was 10 years old, yeah. I'd kick their ass if they picked on too hard. Well, I think anybody that goes out of their way to pick on someone that is mentally disabled and handicapped, they have a whole other set of problems. Probably stuff I could never wrap my head around because that type of stuff is... I mean, there's probably words for it that aren't appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I just... Yeah, I... I will not be happy if I ever witness it. I know I had to see it a handful of times when I was in high school, just, you know, because we had a special needs uh, group in the school and whatnot. So, you know, you, you see you see them and uh, some of the people that are ignorant, frankly, that don't know any better. They're just, you know, being terrible, doing terrible things to them. And I'm like, they might not react to it like how you or me would, but they, re- like, they feel what you're doing. I think it's, it's terrible. So don't ever do that, anybody that's listening. <laughs> he was the best brother I could ever have in the world. Yeah. Uh, how many brothers do you have? Just one brother. Just the one? He passed away many years ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And where are you from originally? Uh, Springville, Cedar Rapids area. Okay. I grew up in Cedar Rapids. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, I went to Springville High School. Nice. Grade school, middle school. You study acting or anything then? Or when, when did, did you? Because you said you took classes, I know. Well, I did a couple plays in high school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when I was a senior, I did a play called Onions in the Stew, which people probably never heard of. Right. And I just had one line, and it was the very last line of the show. <laughs> and uh, my, my line was, San Francisco, at the convention, 
the curtain dropped, that was it. But yeah, but the way I got into it is, uh, like I said, I'm a chiropractor, and I had a patient, uh, mother and father had a daughter and a son, and the daughter and the son was in acting, and they had an agent in Des Moines called Talent Iowa with Sherry Vale, mm-hmm. and they said, you know, that you know they did done some acting. I said, no, I, I kind of like do some acting. So I called Sherry Bell, and my wife and I, Cindy, and the four kids went down there to talk to her. She signed all of us up, and it wasn't until a couple years later we got an acting job. And then a lady saw some of my work uh, at the Donna Reed Festival, and uh, Joan Darling, who was a... Uh... Oh, I like the ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's my phone. Anyway, oh, good. I took some classes. Joan Darling, uh, she was a writer and director of Never Married, Tyler Moore show, MASH, did mm-hmm. a lot of different shows. And uh, she wanted to come out to LA, so I took classes with her. And she said, you need to get more agents than just the one. So I talked to Sherry. So I came back at five agents, and right now I just have the two. Mm-hmm. And I started getting jobs, and yeah. Do you, do you do you have thoughts? Uh, I'm kind of kind of kind of go in the left field for a second, but do you have thoughts on the the current strikes that have been happening? I've been following it a little bit, but right. But I'm always for the union. Sure, absolutely. You ever been part of the union before? Like Never you know, had. I mean, there's various different guilds and vouchers. whatnot. I've got vouchers. I've been with the union. Hmm. I just imagine you must have thoughts on it just because, you know, while Iowa Independent Film and a lot of the films that are there, they're not directly part of, like, the major unions and whatnot, but this does inadvertently affect the whole industry right now. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Like I said, I'm for the union, and I believe in this, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Any thoughts on the artificial intelligence thing, or do you know much about that? Not that much, no. Scary. <laughs> I'll put it to you that way. <laughs> um, so I noticed on your your uh, your shirt there, you got a bopper in me badge. What 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 is what is that all about? Got a bopper in me uh, tonight at the Lake Theater. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The bopper in me is a film uh, that's created by the filmmakers John Cumberland uh-huh. and John Young. And they're from uh, England, and they're yep. here this yep. weekend. Yep. And they have about 10 people with them. And they actually have two people with them right now. Two ladies who are uh, cousins of the Big Bopper. Mm-hmm. And so, in a little while, they're going to be showing their, their movie. Who's the Big Bopper? Big I'll be Big honest, Bopper. I, I, I don't know the who Big it, Bopper. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I don't, I don't know who it is. With the <laughs> Valens and... So he crashed. And Buddy Holly. Okay, so yeah, he, he, was, he was with. He's in the group. He's in the group that crashed, right? Back okay. In, uh, February of 1959. Now, was he cool. like, was he like solo, like solo artist, or was he like part of Buddy Holly's band? I mean, like. Yeah, he's solo. Solo. Okay. Do you know any of his music? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, forgive me. He's yeah. he, he's a guy that's he's like way before my stuff. time. <laughs> yeah. And people know, hello, baby. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. He does that. Okay, I feel like I actually have heard that somewhere, but I can't think yeah. of where that would be from. Yeah. So this film festival, what what makes it unique to you? I mean, like, why why do you love this film festival? Oh boy, I've gone to a lot of film festivals. Uh, I basically join it because it's in my area. What I like about this film festival is what we offer to everybody that comes here. What do you offer? Uh, for instance, if you buy your weekend pass, which is $30, you'll get a drink ticket for the... Tonight, it'll be at the uh, Distillery 173. All right. You get a free drink ticket, which is worth $10. Sure. Uh, tomorrow night after the awards show, we have a food truck coming. Right. And you get a food pass, the ticket for that, and that's worth $10. Right. And during the, the movies, when you're watching the movies, we have snacks and water. You sure do. I've been enjoying them. <laughs> yeah. Anything from chips to candy bars to fruit. Yeah. Anything you want, free of charge. But there's a donation box. You, if you want to give a dollar or something, please. Sure. Do. So we offer all that, offer that $30. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you're having, you're watching these three days of movies, having fun, and <laughs> basically not costing anything. Plus, another thing we do that 
some film festivals don't do is we offer uh, Airbnb yep. to people that are coming, that are film, you know, they can register mm-hmm. and sign up, and then we do drawings and, you know, filmmakers can come here and stay all three days and yeah. free of charge. That is obviously extremely nice, um, especially I just imagine having all the filmmakers in one spot obviously helps greatly because, you know, outside of the festival, it's like, when do they get together, you know, to be able to actually interact with the people that watch their movies. Yeah, and, and after it, uh, each night, you know, we were at the Happy Donkey last night, Yep. Thursday night. Uh, like I said, Distillery 173 in Clear Lake tonight. Mm-hmm. Then we have Mesa Brewery uh, tomorrow night yep. after the awards show. And all the filmmakers, anybody that like to come down and meet the directors, producers, actors, you know, it's a good place to network and talk to people. And You ever been starstruck before? Like where you met someone so famous I've that you're just like, of, oh you know, my God. <laughs> I've met a lot of neat people yeah. you know, in Hollywood and so forth. Sure. You know, Lindsay Lohan. I mean, okay, that's cool. You know, uh, David DeKevy, Orlando Jones. Now, what are they like? Because I, I love both them in the movie Evolution. I was in Evolution. You were in it? Yeah. No shit. That's are you kidding? You're not kidding? I'm not kidding. That's what I meant. And then I or, No, where are you at in that movie? Because I, I love that movie. I'm not just saying well, that. Well, in that, I was an extra. See, I went okay. to Joan, Joan Darling asked me to come to L.A. for a month. Yeah. And she would take about 12 to 15 actors uh-huh. in, in her class. So I was there for a month. And we're getting uh, graded and analyzed by other people. Like, I met the person that did uh, Hunt That Shrunk the Kids. He's mm-hmm. an audience evaluating us. And Rugrats, the person that... Uh, created Rugrats, he was there, mm-hmm. evaluating us, and so we had some good other people, our actors, yeah. that was in my class who actually already were on Nickelodeon and doing stuff already. So wait, on Evolution though, like where where can you be that seen in the movie? That was extra part. So like, are, are you on camera anywhere yeah. though? Like, what, like, do you know which scene? Yeah, it's seen with David Duchovny and Orlando Jones, they're playing volleyball. Okay. They're, uh, Orlando Jones and David Duchovny, they're uh, yeah, I know the scene. Yeah, that, that's like when he has the, like the the breakthrough, and he's like, "You gotta come here. Like, I gotta show you this." Yeah, yeah. You're in there. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm totally gonna be popping yeah. in that DVD. And, then, and I'm like, <laughs> brothers. You know, I mean, they're, yeah, I love working with brothers. Well, now, when have you been with them before? Yeah, I did a serious man. Okay, you know, I actually, weirdly enough, that's like one of the Coen Brother movies I haven't seen. And then Inside Louis Davis. I was I've, seen, I've seen that one. Full of double for nine scenes. Okay. But the serious man, I remember I was auditioned for it, and I was sitting at a Little League baseball uh, diamond, watching these little kids play baseball. I sat in my, lazy, in my chair with my wife, and I got a phone call, and it was a cast director for the Coen Brothers, mm-hmm. and they said, uh, uh, the Coen Brothers would like you to uh, be a Red Owl store manager in their next movie. Mm. And I said, well, I'd love to, but I got to tell you something. I know you get incentives for people that live in Minnesota. I'm only I'm like a half hour away from Minnesota border. But I'll tell you right straight up, I, I like to take I love to take the part. Yeah. I don't want any surprises. I live in Iowa. Right. She's and her exact words are sweetie, you'll understand. The hand selected you. It didn't go through you know, them. No. Right, right. It, it, it went you know, it went right through the Coen brothers. They saw I did. They saw my photo, and they hand selected. She said, "Sweetie, they hand selected. You can live anywhere you're in." That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't go through the casting. How many days were you on set? Uh, just the one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you get to like talk to them? Oh like, yeah. What are they? I mean, what are they like? Oh, they're beautiful. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. like yeah. A, like personable. Like they like they they funny. Yeah. Like. Yeah, Joel and Ethan. Uh, Joel's the older one. Ethan's like a couple years older than I am, and Joel is probably about another five mm-hmm. years older than I am. And uh, they first took me in my trailer, and then I had somebody that was with me all the time. They took me into the set, and I went right up, and Colin Bros are right there, right. close as we were. And Ethan's right there, and he says, well, hello, Jim. Shook my hand, looked back, and I said, uh, you must be Joel. He said, yes, nice to meet you, Jim. <laughs> And then they had three people follow me around, you know, cutting my hair, makeup, and all this stuff. And they put me in my spot. Yeah. And they had everything signed, you know, uh, the way they want the camera view and everything. Mm-hmm. And they brought me down. They put somebody up up there. I was up there, and I thought, well, crap, they just replaced me. <laughs> and I thought, what are they doing? They said, well, that's your stand-in. Uh, 
awesome. And then I got a trailer. And afterwards, I just went out to eat for supper on them. Right. You know, and they treated me better than I think I should have been treated. I mean, it's just... For, like, you, like, you're probably, like, you're just, like, I'm yeah, not... I had, like, five lines. I didn't know if I had any lines, but then... Right. Ethan got together with me and said, Jim, we're going to talk about your lines. So we had a piece of paper that was on a run-out uh, paper, mm-hmm. stationary. And he says, here's your lines. He wrote down the lines, and I kept that paper. Yes. He was writing down my five lines, and, <laughs> you know, so we did it. Do you have a favorite movie of theirs? I mean, they have so many. They got so many that I watched. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, oh, Father, We're Out. That was probably my favorite. Yeah. That the is... music track. I like that. But yeah. before I did the movie, I do all my research. Even though it's a smaller part, five lines. Whatever. Yeah, but you but, take it seriously. Yeah. But uh, we had a red owl in our town for a city. So I talked to the manager. I followed him around a little bit to know what it's like to be manager. I went to a guy that has memorabilia. I had two great big signs, a red owl, you know, the, the red owl emblem. Mm-hmm. I had that in my trunk. I even told the phone brothers, hey, if you need any stuff, I got more stuff for you. <laughs> and when I went for hair and makeup, I even had, it's, they had a pocket protector for me. Uh-huh. But I had cufflinks, I had tie class, I had name badge, the red owl with the name Keith. Mm-hmm. So uh, Keith Byro's a friend of mine, he worked at Red Owl, so he's a manager. So I had his name mm-hmm. with that on there. And when the ladies did my makeup and stuff, they said, you don't mind if we tell the Coen Brothers that we brought the stuff, right? I said, Dude, take the credit. I don't yeah, care. yeah, yeah. But then when I was up there ready to do my lines, mm-hmm. uh, Joel or Ethan walked by, looked at me, and he says, I heard you brought your own stuff, too. <laughs> I said, yeah. Give me a thumbs up. Well, they probably loved away. that. They loved it. Yeah. And I was thinking, I'd give the credit to the ladies, you know? Yeah. But they, they told them that, yeah, I brought all this the authentic Red Owl stuff. I think that speaks a lot, though, because, you know, there's, you know, that that's encouragement for other actors that are listening to that, you know, it's like, you know, any part is to be taken just as seriously as the next. And anybody that's really paying attention will pay attention and notice people that take the trouble to, to go through with that, even if it doesn't get used or you don't even think it's going to get noticed or anything like that. They, they know. And I came back for a second movie, and the Coen Brothers liked it. You gotta come back for a third movie? I hope so. I have no idea what they would be working on next, because I know actually, like, the last, uh, well, like, their last movie or two, they actually, they've solo directed a couple of things now. I haven't seen it yet, but they have one, I think, I swear it's coming out this year, but I'm not 100% sure. Those guys, they're like, it's like two bodies with one brain. Yeah. They never argue. They can... They just read each other like yeah, books. They, like, just, they like just get twins. it. You know how twins can say yeah, the same yeah. thing and they agree. And They're just in complete sync with each other. Exactly. That's exactly the way they are. The way they work. Because I would always think that like two people directing something, or in some cases three, like you know that would to me be kind of challenging, difficult sometimes because of creative differences of opinion and things like that. But they're riding the same wavelength. You know, obviously it works extremely well for them. They <laughs> yeah, do the storyboard and everything. I got the storyboard. Yeah. I got my script. No. Yeah. I make copies that hand out to people. And, of course. You know, did you, now, did you get to meet John Goodman? I didn't even ask that. Cause they no, because they kept him in New York. It took me to Minnesota. I see. I was on set for two days for that. It'd be cool to meet John Goodman. And what's really cool is at the Golden Globe, they were nominated for Best Director, Best Movie, uh-huh. and Best Something Else. And at the end, they showed the scene of John Goodman. Mm-hmm. Supposed to be John Goodman, and right. back the car, his guitar, pulled down the gravel road. Mm-hmm. I was sitting my lazy boy watching the Golden Globe. <laughs> I told Cindy, I said, "That's me. That's not John." <laughs> and I said, "What's really funny? I made the Golden Globes, but nobody's ever going to know it." Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. That's me for sure. But you know, see, like, like sitting across from you and like seeing how much even that means to you. Yeah. I mean, that's that just shows the passion of actors. It's like you know, if you get your stuff seen by a large audience, even if it's for a split second, you're just like, what I did mattered. It, it mattered to the story. It mattered to the production. It doesn't matter how big it was or not. It it's, mattered. As far as stories, the thing I like most about acting is coming back and telling the stories of what happened on set. Oh sure. And I would write down. For years, I'd write down all my experiences. If I would do a full-length movie, I may have 100 pages of notes and emails, and then i keep the script. Mm-hmm. And I'd have three-and-a-half-inch uh, notebooks, and I'd have pages in there with page protectors. Right. And 
I have probably about 15 of those filled up already. Mm-hmm. But for the last several years, I've been lacking putting my notes in there. Mm-hmm. I write notes like if I do a, a short movie or a big movie, I write down my experiences every day. I definitely do think there's something to be said with that. Um, certainly interesting. I actually, so I'm, I'm a person, I still uh, collect a lot of physical media, you know, like Blu-rays and DVDs and movies like that, because I like to watch the behind the scenes, right? And I actually always wish that there would be more movies that would actually, you know, because sometimes like they'll show like snippets of like a scene being shot, you know, like they'll like kind of show it unedited and like the, you know, with the boom mics and everything, but they never will show an entire actual scene like being shot. It's only like a snippet. And I would just, I would love to see more behind the scenes looks on movies where they would actually 100% just let somebody be a fly on the wall for an entire scene being shot. And, and, and don't edit it, like, because I think people would love to see the process. Yeah. But then I also wonder, too, if the reason why they do that is kind of like a magician revealing their hand, because then maybe it'll show too much of what they're doing, and then people will try to steal what they're doing. I I don't know if that's the case, but that's sort of what I speculated to be. Not really sure. Do you still watch, uh, you know, you buy uh, physical media or movies or anything like that? Oh, yeah, I still do. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't I like, know if I like you... watch watching behind-the-scenes stuff. That's one of my favorites. Like, you listen to the gone. commentaries? Yeah, I, I watch those sometimes, but like uh, Forrest Gump, I have the making of Forrest Gump yeah. on VHS. <laughs> yeah. But that's just as exciting as the movie. I think so. I mean, even if like you don't, like, if you're not an aspiring filmmaker yourself, it helps you, I think, to further appreciate the art. Yeah. You know, seeing the, the attention, the detail that gets made on the smallest, minute thing that you might not appreciate for all of, like two seconds that it's on screen. But you know exactly that everything was painstakingly controlled and put together. Yeah, and I believe, you know, as far there's one role I did where you really need to be in character. And I did one called Best Man Down. It's okay. actually called Lumpy. And uh, Justin Long. Yeah, Shirley I'm f- Long is in it. I'm familiar with that movie. I've actually seen it. I'm trying to think of the other fellow that's in that. I never can think of his name. He's got a Tyler. beard, right? Tyler, yeah, Tyler. Yes, I have seen this movie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Tyler and I became friends during that movie. Okay. Because I was on the movie set for a couple couple days. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember the second day he was, we're in a hotel, and he was way at the other end. He said, hey, buddy, how's it going? I thought, gosh, that's kind of cool. And I'll hear from him. Yeah. Tyler uh, Levine. But uh, anyway, I was dancing with my movie wife uh, on the floor. Uh-huh. And Justin Long with his movie wife you mm-hmm. know, was dancing and this was after he got married Justin Long and uh, and Lumpy was drunk it was yep. Tyler Levine and he came up to me and he started picking me up said, hey buddy how's it going start shaking me <laughs> and I pushed him away then he went over to Shelly Long uh-huh. now the Longs aren't related right but Shelly Long was to my left dancing and Justin Long was to my right Shelly Long looked at me and said help me because <laughs> Lumpy and they started, you know, dancing with her. Right. So I looked at Justin Long. We went over there. We pulled Lumpy off. We set Lumpy on the chair. And you'll see this in the scene. Yeah. And this director, we can go through, oh, uh, we could go through three quarters of a page and it'll take us half a day to do it. Right. I mean, this guy would do things over and over and over again in wow. one of those movies. But Lumpy was sitting at a table. You'll see me in the suit in this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm on Lumpy's left, left shoulder. I've got my hand on his shoulder, holding him down. Lumpy's supposed to come up the fourth away, and I'm pushing down. There's another guy in his right shoulder pushing him down. Right. And then he gets up about three-fourths of the way. We push him down. He goes back down the table. And this is at their wedding reception. Mm-hmm. And there's tables all over the place, people all over. We were supposed to keep him there so he wouldn't bother anybody else. He was drunk. And the director's supposed to yell, cut, and I was in the seat. Well, I was so much in the character, the director says, you keep his ass on the table, <laughs> that's what you're going to do. So Lumpy decided to do something different. Mm. On the second take, he came up toward the way, I pushed him down. Three quarters away, I pushed him down. He put his hand, head down there. The director didn't say anything. Lumpy jumped up and started to run. Really? I started to run after him, and I was going to tackle him. <laughs> and so I ran as fast as I could after him, mm-hmm. and I was... I didn't know it, but I was throwing chairs and chairs and tables all over the place. Right. Tables. And I didn't know it until one day a guy down businessman down the street came in my office and says, Hey, I saw you on TV on this in this movie. Mm-hmm. And you're throwing chairs. So what movie is that? I wasn't throwing any chairs. What are you talking about? <laughs> he told me and I didn't realize I was throwing chairs. 
And so I bought the DVD, and yeah, I was so much in the character, I was going to tackle him, that to get to him, I was throwing chairs on my way just oh, to get to him. I didn't realize I was doing that until I saw the movie. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But those are stories I like to share with people. Well, yeah. I mean, because I, you know, I'm not going to be able to hear anything like that from, you know, talking. You know, and after that second take, you said cut. Then everybody started laughing. The next day, people kept coming up on the team saying, that scene was so great. You're so great. And going on and on. <laughs> they said, he's two takes. And he said, we can't do it anymore. And, the, and the, you know, the, thing, the funny thing is about when you tell a story like that is like, you can't plan for that. No, you know, it, that, that, that's that's part of the movie magic, as they say. Yeah, it just it my happens. Job is keep him at the table because you felt it. Yeah, yeah. I went after him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually um, that actor. What do you say his name is? Tyler. What's his last Tyler name? Levine. Uh, Tyler Levine. If I'm not mistaken, he's in one of my favorite uh, like dark comedy horror yes. movies, like Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Yes. You ever seen that? Yes. You, don't tell me you're in that too, are you? No. <laughs> okay. Is that like the supermarket? The- um. So they play like these like redneck hillbilly types that go out into the middle of the woods, and there's like a bunch of college kids out there, and like they start like getting killed, and they think it's them, but they're just uh, getting murdered by somebody else. It's a it's a whole spoof comedy kind of thing, yeah. but he, he's hilarious in that, yeah. and I feel like more people should watch that movie. He's a good actor. Yes, and Justin Long's a good actor too. Yeah. Though he actually, I would say. That guy, I swear to God, he doesn't age. Like he has a very young, youthful face, and just the, his energy and everything like what that. About Justin Long, is you can't look at him. Yeah. If he's acting, we're in, we're doing a scene where he was looking up. Mm-hmm. We're in this hotel, and it had like balconies all around. Yeah. He was looking up doing his scene, and there's somebody that came out of the hotel room, standing there looking over the balcony. Um, and Justin says, "You gotta leave. You're in my view. I can't deliver when I'm looking at you." Right. So we were born, but we got along real well. Do you find that act, Do you find that actors have to do like a lot of like tricks when they're filming a scene just to make sure, like like you said, like the guy, like even like get out of the way so it's in the line of view? Like, do they have to do little things like that all the time? Yeah, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, well, he's another one you can't look at either. Really? But there's a scene I was supposed to be in with Nicholas Cage, but I uh-huh. had to come back to Iowa. Mm-hmm. And but my buddy was in it. There's a scene. Try thinking the movie where. The, the, the Navajo is a war movie. War oh, uh, Wind Talkers. Wind Talkers. Yeah. There's a part where he was uh, in this garden where, called the garden, but uh, it was like a hospital. Mm-hmm. And they were out in this open area and there's people walking around in crutches. They had arms and slings. They had head bandages on. We had a, a head injury, so we had a head bandage on. He was sitting at a table. Right. And with a nurse, and when he got up, he's supposed to be dizzy and fall against the wall. Mm-hmm. So, and this is brutalism right here. What he did, Nicholas Cage got up, he got a broom handle, he knew which way to spin, so he would turn that way to hit the wall. So he told the director, says, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to spin across, I'm going to spin on this and get dizzy. I'm going to throw the broom handle out of the shot, and you'll action, I get up, and, I, and I'm going to twist, and I'm going to hit that wall, because I'm going to be dizzy. Right. Like you want. He did it. And it's like, yeah, so like in that, it's like, it, you, you can call it like a trick, but it's like he wants to feel the actual feeling of being dizzy so There's that it's wrong, not... Man. you got to be real. I, I want to be real in everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point. You want the truth of the character and the truth of the scene to play out, I'm sure. And doing something like that seems small, but then that's what helps doing that, because otherwise, I feel like, you know, the audience is intelligent, and they can see when somebody's... Taking it yeah, sometimes. You can't act, you can't be real. Yeah. Like Spencer Tracy. Somebody went to Spencer Tracy, like I said earlier, and said, yep. So, what do you think about acting? He said, Acting is fine as long as you don't get caught doing it. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> I think about that every time we go on set. Yeah. You got to commit. You're, you're that character. I'm no longer Jim Brock on them. Do you find that easy to get to that level of commitment, or do you, like, can you do it, like, on any project? I, I mean, what, what gets you? I mean, how do you get to that point? I create the character. Mm-hmm. You know, from the past, you know who this person is, where they come from. Uh, just like when I did the Mosmetic Challenge, yeah. I could come in yeah, that character pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Now, do, do you ever have to like? like warm up to the moment or like does it yeah. take it like a little bit because like because i imagine yeah. i mean some people i'm sure like they could just show up on set and just bam they'll, yeah, they'll nail like, it but yeah what i like to do is 
I know what I have to do to prepare for it. When I get on set, I like to just be in my own little corner. Yeah. There's sometimes where people will come up and they don't mean anything bad by it at all. They'll come up and start talking and laughing and, you know, talking right. about stuff or goofing around. And it's like, okay, I'm trying to get ready for my character. I just want to just kind of relax, think about what's going on, think about who I am now, and not talk about something, you know, that relates to Jim Brock. And I just want mm-hmm. now start to think about my character. Well, that makes sense to me. Do you ever uh, give advice to people that are, like, acting for the first time? You know, people that, get, like, do it? Because I'm sure there's a lot of nerves for somebody that's maybe not comfortable with it, or they're not fully committed. Yeah. Uh, I told Darling, uh, she said, I want you to read the script like you're taking a shower. How, 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 okay, <laughs> hang on. You might have to explain that you one. You got the me. same look I did. Yeah. <laughs> read the script like you're taking a shower, and I thought, what does she mean? Yeah. What she means is, just read it. Just don't think about the character. Don't think about anything. Right. Enjoy the writing. Read it. She said, you take a shower. You don't think about, okay, the soap's going in my hand. I'm now rubbing my face. Sure. I'm now rubbing my arm. I'm now squirting the shampoo in my yeah. hand. You're doing something that's you second do nature. You just, you just, just do it. She's just yeah. read it. Don't think about, okay, how am I going to act? Where am I? You know, don't think about anything. Read a few times. Yeah. And then I'll read script so I know about 80%. Mm-hmm. You know, and then... I'll start thinking about my character, you know, like memorizing it, and I'll, you know, get into more character, think about my character work after I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't go on set thinking that, oh, I'm going to mess up. Because if you go on set thinking, right? because you could, you could read it over and over again and go, oh, I got this down. But if you go on set thinking, oh, man, I'm going to screw up. Yeah. Then you're going to screw up. Yeah, a lot of it's mental, it is. for sure. I mean, you have to get in the right frame of mind. You, I think you, you know, trust with the people around you. I, I imagine plays a big role as well. That like they want you to do well as well, you know. So they want to provide you with whatever they can do for you. Uh, you know, whether that's you know shooting on location, giving you actual props to work with, costumes, whatever it is, they want you to get there. Yeah, it, it's, it's there. Like yeah. Alan Young was was my comedic coach. Yeah. Yeah, and he was uh, Mr. Ed. I've God, where do I know that from? Yeah, Alan and Mister the Talking Horse. <laughs> yeah, he was Wilbur. Okay, <laughs> he was my comedic comedy coach, so I've had classes from him several times. And he'd say, "Jim, if you want to do comedy, try not to be funny." Mm, okay. And he referred a few movies to me, and I watched them, and it's some of the funniest things. Some people they when they when they appear, you start to get the smile. Right. Because you know they're going to do something really stupid and really funny. <laughs> they first walk in that door, you get that smile. He says, you know, if you want to act drunk or something like that, you don't dance on the table, put on the lamp, shade or anything like that. Right. He told me how to properly play a drunk, you know. And, yeah, he said, you don't try to be funny. You just do things naturally mm-hmm. and you'll, you'll be fine. What makes you laugh? What makes me laugh? Yeah. These comedians that, like I said, are just so natural. Yeah. They come on, John Candy or somebody that comes on, you just yeah. know they're going to do something so, so crazy, <laughs> so stupid. You start I, to get that smile. Humor's a... And they're not faking it. I find humor to be one of the most subjective things, like in movies, um, just because you know what what's funny to some people, some will just sit through it, stone faced. They're like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, so I always find it's it's very interesting talking about what people do find uh, funny or not funny and whatnot. John Candy though is certainly somebody where, yeah, if he was around, I would probably have a hard time not cracking a smile because of everything that he does just through him being him. And the more serious I get, the more funny I can get. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just come on, do say something stupid or do something, and I look like I'm serious about everything, and it's, right. like, it's like, I can't believe you did that. What are, what are some of your favorite, like, funny movies? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, oh man. There's so many. Here, I'll, I'll help you out here and tell you some of mine. Animal House, like that. I was just about to say Animal House. You know, the National Lampoon stuff, Vacation, yeah. Caddyshack. Um, Tommy Boy's always been a favorite one of mine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else. You know, Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey back in his heyday. You know, Liar, Liar, The Mask, all those different ones are great. 
I'm trying to think other ones. Hmm. Well, John Candy, you know, Uncle Buck is a great one. I feel like, I mean, people always talk about planes, trains, and automobiles, but I'm like, Uncle Buck's pretty damn funny. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like a lot of different comedies, but comedy's changed an awful lot, too. Uh, there's... There's not nearly as many that get a lot of recognition, at least mainstream speaking. But I know independently, like even at this film festival, there's been a couple that are funny. Like, yeah. really funny. There was one I watched, I can't remember what the title of it is, but it was, I think it's called like Password Problems. And it's just these guys having IT issues trying to get into a computer and they take it like way over the top for what you have to do I to, to yeah. uh, get signed into your computer. And I'm like, that's taking something that's relatable, getting stuck you know, in a computer and then really capitalizing on it and just adding fantasy to it practically. Really, really funny. And I did a movie called Pre-Existing. Okay. And that's funny. Yeah. And people love it. And But we're acting serious. Mm-hmm. You know, because here I am, I'm trying to get a life policy for my wife. And we're in an insurance uh, agency office. Talk to uh, two agency or two uh, agents. And my wife is a zombie. <laughs> and she has things falling off her body as we're speaking while I'm trying to get life insurance. And I'm dead serious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm just And laughing. that's a short. And that did really well. And yeah, so I mean, the, watch, the premise alone on that works for me. I'm like, yeah, I can see it. That's funny. Where, where can people watch that one out? Uh, I think you can go, you just look up pre-existing, you'll find it. Just on YouTube or? Yeah. Okay. It's awesome. I will definitely watch that. What time, what time are we at? Uh, we're at 6.05. What time are we supposed to be out of here? Because I'm going to be going to Clear Lake, I'm assuming, Yeah, they start soon. at 6.30, so I was going to leave now. Okay, well, then I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to be heading that way, too. Yeah. But the plan is I'm actually going to take the stuff that's that's here right now, and I'm going to bring it over to the 173, like, distillery or whatever. Yeah. I imagine when people have a beer in their hand. The big bopper starts at, or the bopper of me starts at 6.30, and i got to be there before they start. So we better get you out of here, then. i got to get out of here so I can be with them. Well, I appreciate you coming on here. Um, I'll let you know when the episode drops and everything like that okay. but it's fun I, I I didn't realize that you had so many movie set stories so I'm going to have to pick your brain a little bit more <laughs> alright thanks a lot Jim you're welcome